Now on Doctor Who Confidentially Extra Confidential, did you ever wonder just how showrunner Stephen Moffat and star Peter Capaldi came about choosing the costume for the new Doctor? Well, wonder no more as we bring you an exclusive behind-the-scenes audio clip. Gentlemen, the Director General has instructed me to allow you entry into the boardroom. Sit down, gentlemen, sit down. Welcome, Stephen Moffat, and welcome, Peter Capaldi, to your new home. It's bigger on the inside. As you know, Doctor Who is the BBC's most precious... Culturally. Naturally. And monetarily. Yes, of course, of course. Which is why we have to have this meeting. You have to okay my outfit? We do, I'm afraid. I know. Doctor Who makes so much money. We can't be relied upon to make a competent decision. We, who work day and night... And all my days off. And he works his days off. Can't be trusted. We would never, ever do anything which would compromise the integrity, the quality, the sheer pinnacle of artistic integrity, which Russell and I have brought this programme to. Gentlemen, please, of course we trust you. It's just, you know, the accountants and the marketing people and... The money men. Okay, we get it. We've put a huge amount of thought into this, walked all through the night. We wanted something to make everyone cheer. But to respect and nod to the past of the show. To make the press say, wow, he's cool, classy, but has that alien touch. Sounds perfect. Let's see it. Well, we've brought someone to model it for you. An old friend. I'm so excited. And you come. Come in. <sighs> Oh my god, no, not you, not that, you can't mean it, surely not. You're expecting someone else? Hi, I'm Lala Ward and I'd like to welcome you to Doctor Who on Target. And hello, this is Greg in Swansea. And hello, this is Mike in Swansea. Welcome to Doctor Who on Target. And this week we're discussing Vengeance on Valoros by Philip Martin. And also discussing the abridged audiobook of the same book read by Colin Baker. Philip Martin, born 1938 in Liverpool, is an English television screenwriter. His early work included regular series such as Zed Cars in the late 60s, early 70s. His most famous work is the postmodern television series Gangsters, which was an examination of race seen through an increasingly surreal vision of Birmingham's criminal underworld. It began as an acclaimed one-off edition of Play for Today in 1975, 
then followed by two series of six episodes each in 1976 and 1978. He wrote the Doctor Who serials Vengeance on Varos and The Trial of a Time Lord Mind Warp. He also wrote a script called Mission to Magnus, which featured the character Syl from the televised serial. That script was never filmed when the show was put on hiatus in 1985. A novelised version of the script written by Martin was released by Target in 1990, and the Big Finish audio drama based on the serial was released in December 2009. Mike, what did you think of Vengeance on Barros? I really enjoyed again. Thoroughly enjoyed. Gotta admit, it's one of my favourite Colin Baker stories as a TV show. I don't know if it's to do with like childhood guilt or something, but Colin Baker is when I went off Doctor Who as a kid and switched over to the AT1 ITV. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm just resigning from fandom. Goodbye. No, one of those seasons that I do, I probably have rewatched more than any other Doctor. Yeah, but I, I really enjoy the TV version of it. Excellent cast, excellent pacing, and I think it more or less does translate across extremely well to the novel. Oh, very. That's very, really interesting, Mike. Actually, very interesting. Yeah, so a big lover. Um, Alex, do you want to let us know what you are, your initial thoughts are? Well, I, I agree with bits with Mike. I thought it was very good. It had great pacing, and I, I like it when it was a, a TV program. I, I just had a few things about. It. I didn't think the characters were a bit one-dimensional. Some of the background characters, and the sort of depiction of Perry was a bit stereotyped back to how the companions used to be. But I thought Colin was brilliant. I thought his Doctor was very good. Yeah, you've got that sort of that rattiness that was always evident with him. And is, it has come back into the show now with Capaldi, isn't it? That uh, yeah, that sort of reluctance. There's this scene near the beginning where uh, Perry sort of says she wants to go back to America, and he doesn't question it. He just says, "Oh, oh, all right then." Yeah, he does. <laughs> and goes on to worrying exactly. about exactly. You know, there's, a, there's the sort of very sort of you know back to how I think the Doctor should be sort of no messing, sort of yeah. funny, but sort of still a bit scary and a bit unknown. You don't sort of it know goes, what's going on in his head. That goes right back to Hartnell, doesn't yeah. it? And the way we saw him, we saw the first Doctor written in the, the Daleks by David Whittaker. It's very much that sort of... Yeah. What's, what's the word I'm thinking of, Greg? The uh, well, he's pr- prickly of, and... Irascible. Irascible, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And also... The, the air of mystery is, is there again. Yeah. Brings it, it back to the character. There's not... There's like that lack of an emotional connection. It's you want to go there, go on, then off you go. Yeah. I, I've got my life to get on with, sort of thing, isn't it? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. You yeah. humans interfering with yeah. me. And... I'd just like to pick up on um, your point, Alex. It's quite interesting, actually, because um, I've got in my notes that Syl, I think, is a brilliant character and creation, but I agree with you absolutely that most of the other characters in that they are a bit one dimensional and, and dull, aren't they? Do you think? I would agree. I I really liked Sir, and I thought you know having, that was a very good thing having like the the villain from like the get go. He he sort of meet the villain pretty early on, but I I just think the characters around him are either sort of yes men who agree with him, or just sort of one dimensional characters don't really do much. But is that just a reflection of the situation on Varos though? Because there's a lot of control going on, isn't there? You know, and you've got this Sir is the out and out bad guy. Everybody else perhaps from the odd guard, seems to have a bit of... isn't so one-dimensional in terms of being purely evil. You know, they all have their motives, but they do have a heart as well. And whereas Sale is just, profit, profit, profit. I want yeah. I want power, I want profit. Yeah, that's, that is interesting, because I think I agree with you there, because I wondered about the character played by Martin Jarvis, the governor. We all know Martin Jarvis, excellent actor, very good. We were lucky to have him in there. But his character is a bit dull and one-dimensional. But, like you say, Mike, is that a reflection? 
he's he's sort of world weary he's exhausted he's been tortured so is that a reflection of the character do you think yeah it's like a reflection of even i think this novel translates i'll speak a bit later to modern times in a number of ways as well but i'll just speak in that respect he is a politician isn't he yeah yeah and the way we scrutinize politicians nowadays it's never just black and white you know yes the politician their their political life is an act isn't it like his is an act yeah yeah it, it, it removes it can remove the emotion from you yeah what do you think alex do you, do you buy that or do you think we trying to um, cover up for... yeah i would i would agree with that now, i can see where the sort of you know he's sort of sill spin doctor he's making sill look slightly better i think through most of the book but i think the governor sort of goes through that phase of regret you know being made look better by the end of the book where he's he becomes the hero so i sort of semi agree with that but i think the problem is what you've got such a powerful sort of monster of Sylv who's just interested in power and corruption and money, but everybody around him sort of gets sucked into his world. Yeah, I think I agree with you there, Alex. It's, um, it's a bit of both, I think. I agree with you, Mike, and I feel that as well, that maybe they are reflecting their world, that is their character, but I do feel as well that quite a few of the characters are a bit one-dimensional. But, I mean... Sorry, Mike, go ahead. No, no, I was saying... There's that also in respect of there being so much action in this book. There's not that much chance for character development. That, These people are pushed into their roles very quickly by Martin, aren't they? You know, we get a, yeah. a good overview of them straight away. You know, yeah. where everybody sits in the system. You know, down to the characters Araka and Etta, who are the the TV watching observers yes. in this society. Yeah, I, I haven't actually done my intro, but um, I do. If what what I think of the the novel and the TV series as well, of course. I enjoyed this a lot more than Frontios, I have to say. A lot more than really? Frontios. Really? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, on TV, I remember watching it, and I, I loved it. I loved this sort of thing. It's like social realist drama. It's really um, political and subversive, and it's showing the way these world works. I, I really enjoyed it on TV. Now I think maybe it's a bit dark and a bit nasty but it's very realistic i mean the writer philip martin he's famous for writing very very gritty drama isn't he can i just make uh, the idea of the parallel i wanted to speak about what you said about social the social history in it when this story was written in the 80s i suppose you'd have seen still as a sort of the oil baron yeah if you looked at dallas and tv shows at the time and in the real political world yeah arakanetta were those normal people like us Distracted by television every day, yeah. influenced by the media. Bring it forward 30 years to 2015. The banker still is now the banker. Yes. Yeah. 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 Reality TV is everywhere now, unfortunately. I can't stand it. Yeah. Yeah. And we get to that end scene, or near the end, it's the yeah. penultimate scene with Ara Canetta saying, what, what do we do now? What do we watch now? Yes. Yeah. They're completely they, addicted. Yeah. Yeah. They haven't got, you know, the will to turn it off. As yeah. as people as people are now, and it reminds. I think it was that that scene was borrowed at the end of the movie The Truman Show. Do you remember? Oh, oh yeah. When Jim oh. Carrey escapes the world, and he just like you throughout the film, we've had flashbacks of people around the world watching the show because everybody in the world watches the show. And the very last scene, I think, is to a security guard in a shopping mall or a petrol station saying, "Oh, oh, what do you now? Let's switch over and see what else is on." Uh, and that just like represents to me yeah. as with Arakanetta. Yeah. What would people do? You know, if television suddenly yeah. and social media suddenly collapsed? That's really interesting. What would we yeah. do? Yeah. It's scary. That's interesting, Mike. What was the point you said about the Truman Show as well then, Alex? 
Um, I was just saying that it's it's very much like, as Mike was saying, the ending of this book, where people are so used to a reality what's been put in their head, but they can't tell the difference between the real world and not the real world, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's that is it. I haven't seen the Truman Show, but explaining that to me, it really sounds right. I mean, the first thing when I looked at the beginning of this novel, and I absolutely loved that in line. But we've got the two characters, um, Iraq and. Who is it? Etta. Etta. Yeah, Etta. Yeah, Aretta is the um, oh, girlfriend sorry. of John Dar. Oh, yes, yes. Aretta. Sorry, Iraq and Etta, you're right. I, I made a note there to say she's he's offering to, um, he's so exhausted from working, he says, Can you vote for me? And, uh, and she says, You can't do that, you're not allowed to. And then he replies, Well, how will they know? And she says, I'll tell them. That is really chilling and horrible, mm. is it? It's a, way... it's, it's, a, it's a bit like the sort of thing what used to, what used to happen in Nazi Germany, where your neighbours would t- say there was a Jew next door. That's what I thought when I was reading it. Do you yeah. know, Alex, that's exactly what I've got in my notes. The same, same as you thought. It's, it's just like um, Nazi Germany, isn't it? With, with that. And it's also a reflection, perhaps, of modern society. Dog eat dog, isn't it? Everyone's out for themselves. Yeah. Even though they're a married couple. Yeah. They're out for themselves. So. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's, it's, so the book is really, um, it's really sort of, what's the expression, you know, on the, on the nail, is it? Um, with yeah, the, I think, I'd say it's timeless between when it was written yeah. now and the 80s. We still have these some, same problems. Yeah. Different wolf in sheep's clothing. Back when this was written, he would have been the oil baron. Yeah, yeah. Rich man. Yeah. I think, um, like I say, I think it's very um, social realist. It's got a lot of depth to it. It, it's a very interesting story and what I thought when I was reading it as well was we we talk about the Andrew Cartmel era as being uh, the time when we had political tour, subtext put in the stories but actually it's coming across really strongly here isn't it? Yes I think so I mean and to take it back to being timeless before this we had 1984 George Orwell yeah it's Orwellian as well isn't it it's, yeah. just, it's an ongoing Almost thing definitely. the state and the state keeps an eye on us all yeah. keeps us in line yeah, so Alex, what what other points would you like to make about the story? I think it's very interesting, you know, having sort of Soviet mind control also in the sort of areas and that sort of thing where the doctor's going through that sort of the mind dome and being controlled and it's that's sort of got lots of things what I think are still relevant to this day and that's why I really liked it. The way people get controlled without knowing it and the whole fact they're in a prison inside a prison where they don't really no, because they're just used to every day being controlled by the screens and making their own decisions. But I, I don't think they, anybody does throughout the whole of this book. Yeah, I think it's got it's got a parallel as well with uh, the, the Pertwee story. I'm trying to think, it reminded me a bit of with the mining. Peladon. Peladon, oh yeah. The oh mon- yeah. yeah. The Curse of the Monsters too, isn't it? Yeah. Did you, um, is, it, is it the Curse of Peladon? Is it the first one? I think one? so, yeah. yeah. That does remind you, doesn't first it? One. Yeah. Could, could, did you notice that? A bit of a, quite a, a, a similar sort of Yeah, the, the hierarchy on the planet. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, outside powers coming in to control the ore yeah. taken on the planet. I thought that was quite, quite interesting. I, I wonder... Something I noticed which was different in the novelisation to the TV series, the infamous acid bath sequence. Are you yes. going to ask about that? Because it's not there, is it? Go, go on, Michael. Probably, phone. you know, one of the creepiest things that turned me over to TV oh. during the uh, Colin Baker year on television. Yeah, it was 
it was quite shocking at the time, you'd be eight, nine years old seeing that. And yeah. As you said, it's quite different in the book, Greg. You'd have to remind it, me how it's different. I'm trying to well, in think the, through in, myself. Yeah. Sorry, you're, you're absolutely right, Mike. In the book, it's, it's portrayed very differently. It's a simple accident, which is, you know, he just goes to grab it. Whereas clearly in the book, it was... In, sorry, in the TV series, it was callous and nasty. and He pushes him in the TV programme. Absolutely, he pushes him in. So he's deliberately changed it in the novelisation, I, I, I assume, in, unless they filmed it differently to how he wrote it in the script. But it's completely Possibly, different. Yeah, because I believe this one came out in... This novelisation came out in 1988 and yeah. 1985 was the broadcast. Yeah, so, so you would have been aware of the criticism. And, yeah, but this is what target novels can do. They can expand, they can, yeah. they can change things more, yeah. perhaps more towards but, the but, writer's initial vision. Yes, but, yeah, absolutely. But it's definitely different. It's it's not knowing... It's, it's a simple accident, whereas in the TV series, as we know, it was really nasty. I will say, though, that in the novelization. Colin Baker's doctor still does just walk off rather nonchalantly in yeah. a way. You know, he's going. There's no. There doesn't seem to be any care at all, or even regret. Mike, what other features of the story would you like to talk about? I'd just say, in comparison with uh, Mr. Bidmead last month, remember you, you both mentioned that I agreed um, to some extent that Christopher Bidmead had these fabulous chapter titles. Yeah, the chapters did not live up to them. No, that's right. Yeah. Whereas here it's it's spun completely around. He has quite simple chapter titles in the in the actual mm. book. They're not on the audio, but um, he has just things like the final battle. But he really builds up the tension in them. Yeah. He's really he, yeah. he, he seems to enjoy it quite a lot, like Terence Dix, really right in the action, doesn't he, Philip Martin? I I agree with you entirely there, Mike. Actually, yeah. yeah. Did, did you feel the same as well, Alex? Because I, I... Uh, yeah, because I, I that's why I made sure I read the book as well. This was the audio book didn't have any chapters, so I went back to read the audio book yesterday, and the chap the chapters made so much more sense when you actually have the chapter headings in front of you. To yeah. what was happening in each chapter. Because, again, I think his writing style is uh, it's very good. It's fast-paced, it's action-orientated, straight into the story. Yeah, it's quite a good writing style, actually. You know, It seems to be in line with the sort of Terence Dick's type of writing, do you think? And it does sort of amaze me how the TV story was so good as well, because we look at these Target books and they have a, quite a vast scale to them. Yes, which yeah. the television budget could rarely ever match, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But it's so well acted, the TV version. Yes. And this is so well written in the novel, it's expanded upon. Yeah. You can see this being a vast, you know, place of Arras, whereas it's just the old wobbly corridors on television, isn't it? And Absolutely, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Talking of the audiobook, there's a couple of things I'd like to say. Um, Colin Baker, now he's reading this. He reads it pretty well, I think, apart from his American accent and impersonation of Perry, which is a... Oh, pr- yeah. It's appalling, isn't it? It's it's terrible, it's, isn't it? It's dreadful. <laughs> Sorry, Mike, what do you oh, think? Oh, disagreement time, yeah. I oh. thought he was quite good. I thought he captured it quite well, to be honest. Did you really? I think possibly it did add to Alex's earlier opinion that Perry is a bit of a whiner, you know. And oh, yeah. yeah she, she's yeah. not portrayed well. No. The female, the assistant, the companion is not portrayed well. No. Again, she's, she's down as being quite terrified and scared like, a lot of the time. Like, I might, might, be, might agree with the audio, but it's swaying me a bit more towards that feeling, but it just seems we're reading the book, she's gone back to how the stereotype was of the woman in, as a companion, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, it's a, re- it's a real pity. It, it is. It is the, uh, and I think it's quite interesting, actually, that the, the there are no strong female characters in here. Maybe this is a weakness in Philip Martin's writing, is that None of the female characters come across as strongly, apart from 
But, but that's only based on those few lines, really. That she yeah, she's living with being, her husband and they're yeah, sort of living yeah. in this very it's small, contained environment be, together. It all seems to be pretty strong men and women are weak in this book, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, the, I do get the feeling of that. Which is possibly a problem in Colin's first season because he's quite a vicious doctor to begin with, isn't he? And yeah. He's quite abrupt. And yeah, he is. But I will say, with his reading of the audiobook, though, um, I, I did thoroughly enjoy it, apart from Perry's uh, impersonation. But I thought he did Sills' uh, lines brilliantly. Yeah, you know, I, it's probably a good thing in the end. At the beginning, I was disappointed he didn't put the little la 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 in that the brilliant actor Nabil Shaban does as Sill on TV. But... I realise that probably would have sounded silly, but he, yes. he makes up for it in the other ways by this great intonation in there. There's real sort of yeah. comedy menace, isn't he? He's got a camp sort of pantomime yeah. villain is yes. hell, really, the yeah. he's portrayed, and he, he captures that very well. I think he does. I think he does it really well. I love the way he says, um, Sil, when Sill's calling the governor, he calls him the governor. Governor. <laughs> Which I notice isn't in the novelisation, is it? It doesn't. No, it no, no, no. Yeah, Colin has added that. Has yeah, given a bit of flourish to That's, that, isn't he? Yeah. So exactly. Yeah, Colin has put a flourish to that. So uh, I enjoyed um, Colin's performance of it. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was very good. Perhaps there's a difference again. I mentioned to Greg earlier on Al that um, you know we've had Tom Reed in Pyramids of Mars superbly. We've had Colin, and then you have Chris Bidmead who just uh, didn't. Just, I know. Did, didn't give us the best. Um, he wasn't bad. He wasn't as bad. He got yeah, into it now, but you know, I think it works better if you actually have the doctor reading the audiobook. Yeah, very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think so. That, though, I, I will be interested to see with um, Ark in Space how good that is. Oh, Mr. No. Culshaw, yeah, that's a new, newly released one. We'll be, you know, we've gone through all the doctors. We'll leave Sylvester out just for a month because. Greg has decided, as a creator of the podcast, that we need to be looking at the ones that have just been released for them. Yeah. So Definitely. we'll put Sylvester on the back burner until the next one over. Yeah, we'll go. No offence to him. I'm looking yeah. forward to hearing some of the words of his era as well. So. No, but yeah, we... we'll, we'll leave Sylvester to the rabbits. Yeah. <laughs> Very good, Alex. Very good. I'd like to say as well, um, talking a bit more of Syl, I think he is a great character. He's really evil. Yeah, I, he is pantomime. I, I, I agree with you there, but, but he's great. And he's got real menace as well, you know. He's oh, real. He really yeah. believes in his evil. He believes in his own evil, doesn't he? He's got... Absolutely. He's full of threats and, you know, I've got these guards coming now. Yeah. And I, I, I love the bit where, you know, when you know, Perry and Abbott has been turned into animals and he is so happy that they're going to be his pets <laughs> in his own area. He is, isn't he? He's, like, he's relishing in it. He loves it, doesn't he? Yeah, he's actually like, sort of laughing at what is quite a vicious scene, really, doesn't it? You know? Yeah, I know. There's a lot yeah. of humour to it, you know. Black humour. Real black, black humour, isn't it? Because that, that bit there would be really dark and then it's sort of lightened with Sylve. Yeah, 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 yeah with Sylve doing that. And I wonder, and two of the things I like, which really showed his character, was when he thought that the Doctor was going to tell everyone uh, what's going on, the plan, and he goes mad and he's telling them, hit the button, hit the button, and he says, kill, 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 stuff his mouth up. And he's like, God, this guy's evil, isn't he? <laughs> but also, I liked a little bit later where he says, how dare I be talked to like that? <laughs> he, you know, he thinks he's the king of something. He's brilliant, yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah it's quite a, to go back to the acid scene, another horrific scene is the ending with the vines. You know, that's yes. really is quite sort of a horrific yeah. death for many of the, the yeah. Rossians. And did I 
mystery, but there was also cannibalism, wasn't there, going on? Where they yes, were... where the, the relatives of those who've been to the Punishment Dome yeah. are sent outside to basically an airless environment to die, aren't they? Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. really? I, did, I must have missed that bit. It's yeah. when they find a body, before they find the vines at the end, and oh, they find yeah, the body oh, yeah, turned blue, and that's I mean. because it's one of the relatives... Because apparently the system on viruses, if you're found guilty of something, your relatives are also sent to the Punishment Dome with you. Yeah. But some yeah. escape... Yeah, the only way escape they think to escape is through an airless vacuum. So yeah, that's when they yeah. discover this body on the way out before they get to the vines. It really. I wonder what what. But the cannibal, yeah, the cannibals come in, don't they, to attack them? Yes. And one of them dies, and then the cannibals start eating the one that's just died. Eating so. the one that's just died. Yeah, yeah. 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 I wonder. I mean, I'll ask both of you in turn. Mike, first, do you think this story would have been made today in today's Doctor Who? I suppose the darkest we've gone in New Who is possibly The Waters of Mars. Yeah. Um, yeah. And well, Death in Heaven, the uh, dark I, water. I was going to say, I think Death in Heaven is probably the darkest. Possibly it would be made, yeah. you know, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Alex, it's a hard one. Oh, sorry, Alex? I, I think mm, it's a difficult one because I think maybe no, maybe yes. But I, it's a very interesting one. Clearly, I think we're going into a darker period of Who on TV. Right yeah. now, although there seems to be the need from higher ups to lighten Capaldi, that I have heard, but um, well, that's I don't well that thing's that totally in order if you've both seen the trailer. Oh, what's that? Yeah, the new trailer, yeah. but it doesn't give a lot away. But we do see him in the trailer. Al playing a guitar, you know, where hugging Clara in the trailer. We see uh, him, and he gives an awkward little smile, doesn't he? Yeah, I think we are seeing a little bit of lightning yeah. coming up. But we'll, I, I like that smile because we'll see and observe. Yeah, I like that smile because um, it's like he, he's really got to squeeze it out of himself. Isn't yeah. He? It's not, it's not <laughs> like yeah, he's trying hard to do that. So what else? Now, I would like to mention another thing about the book was at the end, and they and Syl says at one point that somebody will be in the hot seat for good. And I thought it's such a pity they didn't use the term the hot seat for the actual seat that he does the torturing in. Because you know that's the, true, yeah. Before yeah, that, in the book, they yeah. Don't. yeah. Because you know you're talking about the game show aspect yeah. of it on TV, and that's what's being called in the hot seat, and then I thought that would be a really um, interesting parallel to show, you know, that the hot seat is actually, you know, something where you really are killed in, yeah. you know, by lasers. I thought that was jo- in joke, wasn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. I like that. Um, as I say, a great story. Is it typical Doctor Who? I wonder. Mike, do you want to go first? It's darker than typical Doctor Who of that period, definitely. I mean, we've had sort of this is Colin's first season. It's about his fifth or sixth story, I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. I suppose you've had Case of Androzani. At that point, you've had Attack of the Cybermen, which are fairly all dark. The, you know, for that, it's it's pretty dark. It just sits nicely. Revelation of the Daleks is the same season. They're all quite dark in that first season, so it's representative of Colin Baker's first season of Who. I think. Well, not gem- gem- generally Doctor Who, but Doctor Who should be different now and again. That's interesting, Alex. Well, I, I think it sits well, but um, I think because of that whole first season of Colin, where he wanted to do something different, I think I don't, I don't know if I, did they. I think they turned 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 it down a bit in the regeneration scene, where he was a lot nastier in the target. They wanted Colin to be something a bit darker, I think. And he seems to have mellowed out in the big finish plays, doesn't he? You know, he's a he's, well, he's, he's still yeah, a great he's doctor. not a star definitely in the big finish stuff. As I say, on first, did you see it on first transmission, Alex? 
Uh, I don't think so because I what, what year? What period was it? Eighteen eighty-five, early nineteen eighty-five. I would have been four, so no. Oh right. <laughs> no, you would definitely come up to the eighteen at that age. <laughs> oh, that damn eighteen, <laughs> Mike. Did you see our first? Coming soon on eighteen one target. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, did you see your first transmission? I did, Greg, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't really you... give up on Colin until... I never really gave up on Doctor Who. I I definitely saw them all, definitely all of Colin's on transmission, possibly Sylvester's I didn't. Possibly yeah. had switched over by then. Yeah, yeah. It, it, something it, else. It, it was Colin when I stopped watching Doctor yeah. But I, I watched him to the end, um, and then it was really Sylvester McCoy where I... Uh, that was it, you know. It was, uh, it, it was all. No, I laugh. <laughs> They're both lovely men, though. They both really come into their own now on the convention circuit and with big finish. I think. They're oh, we really... we adore both of them. We adore yeah. them. You know, they they. Oh, they, they are great. They're great. I'm just interested. What? Why did you? Why did you start watching from sort of end of Colin to Sylvester? Why was that? Possibly well, a bit of peer pressure at that age. You know, you think, oh, I'm the only person here in the yard watching Doctor Who. Quite possibly a fair bit of that at that age, eight or nine. Doctor Who seemed to require a lot more thinking for me at that age, you know. By the time you get to Sylvester, it's quite complicated. It is quite garish, you know, some of the concepts. Yeah, yeah. Um, didn't really like Ace as much as some of the other companions. I mean, I do think she's a very good role model now for the modern companions. Yeah. But uh, just a number of things, really. Uh, that's interesting. I, mate. Do, I think, I do remember watching towards the end when we had survival at the last story. I remember Battlefield with the Brigadier coming back. I think I somehow got into that last season. But a lot of fans have said that. That's season 28 or 29. And the two it, before, it was. Like, it was. The two before that, was, people fell out of love with it, you know? It, it, it was, was getting better again by the time I was a teenager then. It was getting better by the time it was uh, taken off, unfortunately. Sorry, Alex, what were you saying then? Say that again. I was saying what the last seasons of Esther's really did finally pick up. That's why I do remember watching bits of that. Right, right, yeah, no. For, for me, it's interesting that you said peer pressure in the playground. Yeah. Uh, but for me, I was in my early 20s, so there was, a, and I'd always resisted the peer pressure because yeah. I, I absolutely loved Doctor Who as a child, and you know, nothing would stop me. But for me, I went off with them because it came across really as the things which people used to say it was when I was a child, it being childish, silly yeah. nonsense. I that's how I felt about it, and I really didn't want to feel like that about it. But I would see Sylvester McCoy. I remember seeing Time and the Rani and thinking, "That's it. That's it. This isn't yeah. the program that I grew up with. It really is childish and silly and nonsense now." And um, that and I just I just really couldn't be bothered. It was and the fact that isn't that isn't the greatest of stories as well. You know, even if I rewatch now, it's not one I look forward to rewatching. Whereas see Sylvester's. Last season, now I, I rate them all. You know, I think they're very good. Yeah, I, I, I personally think with Sylvester, that I, I do like, I sort of don't, I'm not sort of in the middle with Mel, but I think anything from Dragonfire onwards is Sylvester at its best. Right, right, yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a big difference. I mean, I remember one time at Regenerations in Swansea that um, when Sylvester was there, and I put the question to him, I, 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 why? Because in the TV movie... His portrayal is excellent. He Barely comes those across few minutes, and then when he's on the operating table, and you know, yeah, he's oh, just brilliant. He is brilliant. He is brilliant in it. And I asked him why, you know, couldn't you have done that in the earlier? And he said, well, he just matured as an actor. The circumstances were different where he was allowed 
to show yes. that portrayal. So I, I don't blame Sylvester for the way Doctor Who was when he was in it. I think it was, you know, he was given a very bad deal by the people around there. Sorry, guys, have we digressed a bit too much into Sylvester I now? We're we we talking we about Avengers on Varus. Well, I like the book. I thought it was very good. And I also like the audiobook due to Colin's performance. So I think I'll be generous this week, more than I was last time, Frontos, and give it a Sylvester. A seven? Let's give it a seven. Yeah, and I think it's over to me now. And. Um, yep. I agree with you, Alex. I, I like it a lot more than Frontios as well. And um, I think a seven is a is a very reasonable score for it. Yeah, it was a good, enjoyable book. And I'm going to go for a Sylvester too. Excellent. Well, my thoughts are, um, I gave Frontios quite a high score. I gave it a McGann, didn't I? An eight. You did. You did. Well, this mm. is better for me, so I'm going to have to go to an Eccleston, a nine. Wow. Ooh, oh, I, I just, possibly because of the love of the TV story as well. I know we should take it on its own merits, but yeah. it's just very well written. I, yeah, it is. I'm not going to argue with you. I think it is a very good story, you know. It's it's like... You two are hard taskmasters, yeah. I can tell. <laughs> oh, yeah, we are, we are. Yeah, I think, I think we are this, um, you know... I, I've noticed um, with my friend in Norfolk, Michael, whenever he gives something a 10, I give it a 9. Whenever he gives it an 8, I give it a 7. Yeah. But I say the same things as him, you know. Yeah. Like, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this book, the novelisation, the story... But I think about seven is about right. But you were going for a nine, Mike. Yeah, but should we also introduce, you know, a John Hurt, an 8.5? A war doctor, a war doctor. I'll stick to an Eccleston for Vengeance on Varos. Yeah, yeah. But um, we could introduce that in the future. Well, I, I'm confused, though. Why, why would John Hurt be an 8.5? Because he's in between McGann and Eccleston. He's the war doctor, isn't he? He doesn't really have a number. In the whole system oh, of things, of course, yeah. yes, yes. Sorry. He, he announces yeah. himself as a doctor when he still began before he regenerates in that mini episode. Yeah, and no, then really. by the end of the the fiftieth anniversary, he says, "Oh, I am the doctor again." Yes, and then regenerates yeah. into Eccleston. Yeah. So an eight point five is now going to be a yeah, no, you a are, war doctor. You are right, <laughs> war doctor. John Hurt. Sorry, it was my my dodgy arithmetic there. I, I was yeah. thinking that yeah, <laughs> it's eight point five, isn't it? Greg, give us your thoughts on the cover, please. It's interesting because it's got the, the, the Peter Davison logo on it. I don't like the fact... I mean, this was something which uh, was happening in, when the Target books had reached this stage, but they were putting numbers on there which made no relevance, really. You know, it made no sense within the story. I mean, it says number 106... But it's not story number 106, is it? It's not. There is uh, a reason for that. I'll have to do research again, but it yeah. came up in some research I was doing the other day and yeah. it, it's escaped me again now. Yeah. But, um, I think the cover's okay. It's a bit bland. Um, it's got Sill on there. there. There's a bit of a... I don't know. It hasn't got the real Target logo. What I see is the real Target logo. It's, no, no, the uh, the sort of it's got that daft one, which it? is just concentric circles. Well, mm. what's the point of having a target if it hasn't got the target colours? Clearly, it shows, doesn't it, that nothing leaps out from it. We we we're struggling to get meaning from it. I don't think, I I, I don't think much of it as a cover. I can see the cover artist is David McAllister, not one I'm familiar with. Alex, what what do you feel about the cover? Well, what we we're saying from, you know, looking at this cover, it looks like it's a lot of bits that don't make much sense. You know, we're having to struggle to find the references. So 
I don't know. It doesn't sound like it's a great cover. Was that the reprint cover, the one we're talking about? No, that's the, the initial one as well, was what we're getting onto the reprint cover yeah. in a moment. So, if so. on the initial one, it, you know, it's, we're taking a while to work out the references, also, it's not a great cover by the sounds of it. No. I did quite like the initial cover, you know, it's sort of standard military grey, and yeah. the reprint just seems to have Colin behind some bars next to a picture of Sill. <laughs> That's it, really, and the sort of the the Sylvester McCoy logo, bizarrely. Yeah, above you know, that, the that black is... banner which you saw on the, I think it was the Pyramids of Mars reprint cover. It's bizarre. Two episodes ago. Weird. Yeah, it's just a, it's a mishmash, isn't it? Yeah. No, I'm sorry. It's um, neither of the covers are, are up up to much at all. It's uh, a bit of a disappointment, um, really. Um, if I were walk W H Smith, nineteen eighty. Six. If I were walking past, I don't think it would grab my attention. I mean, I think that they're quite. There's a good likeness of Colin. There's a good likeness of Sill, isn't it? Really, I it gets the colours of Colin's costume and it gets that sort of stoic look on his face. But um, not one of my favourite ones. Yeah, I, I think you know, like you say, the representations of their faces and of Sill are very good. But the actual design and the the point of it, I, I think the second one is probably better because it has. The Doctor and Sill on it. Is in there, yes. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the first one doesn't even feature the Doctor, which, when it's got Doctor Who on the top, I think there's a prerequisite, really. I think so. It's always It should sell it, really, having the main character. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Definitely, definitely. You want you want that reference so you know exactly which Doctor you're going to be reading about. And I think it works better if it's got him on the cover. Well, the good news is that we've had a bit of feedback from the last podcast from Christopher Haight Bigme on our, our Twitter feed. So if you want to have a look at what he's been saying about our podcast, then please go to at who's on target and let us know what you think of his comments. And we all want to thank Christopher Haight Bigme for responding to our comments as well. It's very kind of him. And uh, considering that some of us, not Mike, but some of us made some very harsh comments, um, it's very, very gentlemanly of him to, uh, to to respond nicely like that. But we did say some really positive things as well, I think, too. I think so, too. Thank you, Christopher H. Bidmead. And I think we've all got one thing to say. Can we do a group sell? Are you ready, guys? Three, two, one... <laughs> and next time on Doctor Who, Who's on Target, we are going to be reviewing Doctor Who and the Ark in Space by Ian Martyr and the audiobook read by John Calshaw. Target Podcast 7 featured Greg James, Alexander Gibbons and Michael Winks. Peter Capaldi voice performed by Mr. Christopher Thompson. Music by Delia Derbyshire, Ron Grainer. Arrangement by YouTube user Andy Keys Music. Who's on Target Podcast 7 recorded in Swansea, South Wales during July 2015.